All right, welcome back, Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Scott, joined as always by Russell Joy. Russ, Good morning, Kyle. Um, day day twenty nine. Sans Adam, have you seen Adam? I saw him on Twitter. Whoa! Hello. What? what? Hello. Good oh. to see you. He's back. Huh. Ah, Adam. Yes, I. I told the great state of California, I have a podcast to do. Welcome to Crossing Podcast. I am Adam Lefko. I'm back, Did baby. Did you call it Crossing Podcast? Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's Scottish now as well. So Yeah, I don't know what's going he's on. He's like really. straight Sean Connery out of here. I know that you guys were eagerly awaiting the release of the new Jay-Z album 444, so let me get those reviews, guys. What do you think? Um, was not aware it it is better than lemonade did you know that a new album was coming out today i know today i had no idea no i didn't even know jay-z was still recording it came out at 444 didn't it like i all right so russ is a little bit more hip than kyle i was trying to to fake it i i even said that it was better than lemonade is this his first album since the one with like uh run this town the blueprint or whatever it was no, probably no, not. not. Yeah. No. Adam, does That's anybody a... actually care that Jay Z came out with a new album? Do I have I a question. Care? I I have I, I, I have care. to ask I have to ask this question. I, because of of the people that I work I work with every day, I've got people who trash Jay Z on a on a pretty regular basis now, saying that Do he's you work not, in an insane asylum, and uh, saying that there are other guys who have passed him now. How do you feel? How old are these people? Like twenty four? Well, he teaches children. Yeah, no, that's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's okay. in the top five uh, rappers of all time. Um, he's put out like he could literally do a straight concert for five hours of hits, and there's no one really that could match him that's currently like doing it. Um, it's it's weird though. Like I, it's always weird listening to rappers once they have wives and kids. Because, as you guys know, you talk about different things when you have wives and kids. Like, if we hung out, you're eventually going to talk about, like, baby poop and crying and sleeping patterns. And I'm talking about, you know, nightclubs and 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 playing basketball and other things like that and, and taking random trips. So, um, it's just a different world when you have that. And when rappers have it and their entire lives were... Look at the money. Look at my clothes. Look at all that stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, look at Baby Ivy. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. Uh, yeah, you've just made our lives sound so miserable. It's not miserable. You know, to everyone out there that has a kid, I want a kid too. I just don't want to take care of it all the time. And when I see <laughs> Russell tweeting out things like, like, oh my God, both kids are asleep. This is incredible. Like, I know when that happens, I'm going to be super excited about it. But in the meantime, I looked at that tweet, took a sip of tequila, and then, like, listened to to a DJ. It was pretty dope. The victory you have achieved, whether it's at night or uh, nap time, more specifically, when, like, they are asleep and, like, you know you got a couple of hours or the rest of the night, it is... It is it is the daily uh, it is the daily game you play, man. It's the moment where you look at your wife and you say, "Hey, huh? We're a married couple, huh? We're not just mom and dad." 
it's oh. like you you spend you spend pretty much your entire existence at this point uh, i don't know why but i'm picturing russ like one of those cartoon characters with like the the hearts in his eyes and like like the hearts like just popping out of no, his but eyes it's like, wearing it's a sweater from, vest from the from the time of like around here it's like 7:30 p.m. to 5:30 a.m. is like the only time that that we have without kids being awake that's russ's boogie hour or, or I don't know hours. why, but I imagine that when Russ's oldest turns like six or seven, he's be like, now, don't mean to get ahead of himself, but your dad's kind of a cool cat. Oh, I, I do that already. I don't even have to say it. He just looks at me. He's like, oh, this weirdo. All right. All right, I'm down. I'm down, Daddy. Go ahead. Read me some stories as Kermit the Frog. Go ahead, Elmo. Have fun. You know what? And that's, that's what a lot of NBA free agents used to say about the Sixers. Look at this weird guy. But now, whew, they are waiting to jump aboard. Two names, Andre Godala, J.J. Redick. Do you think either of these guys could come? I don't think Iguodala's possible. I'm just going to throw that out there. So we teased this at the end of the last show. And uh, look at us. We're actually going to we're actually talking about it. I appreciate hey. that was very that was a very outstanding transition. By the See, way, see that's Much why better. we need Adam. That's These transit that is a great transition. Yeah, and I know it ruins it to say it like that. Yep, but, it, it did. Uh, <laughs> that's like that's like me. What that was was I just walked up to a girl at a bar, and I said, and I started a conversation. It was going great, and you guys walked up right next to me. It's like. Man, you really got her into a conversation. That was awesome. Hi, Russ. Hey, I'm Kyle. That That's was a what that really, was. really great pickup line. Yeah, well what did done. you say to her? What did you do? Because she was not giving any guy the time of day. <laughs> what really what occupation did you give her this time? Doctor, lawyer, uh, yeah. video, Architect. online video talent host. Yeah. Um. Great. So anyway, yeah, Ego We talked about this last time, uh, and Russ and I very briefly mentioned how we weren't quite sure why Sixers Twitter seems to be very much in favor of Iguodala. I, I guess I'm sure on the right deal. I don't quite get it. Um, he's 33. He's a terrific defender and obviously still a, a pretty high-level player. And the fact that he's like the Warriors' sixth best player tells you how good they are. Um, I don't hate the notion of bringing back, although it would be so Philly to... I draft the guy, then send him away for his prime to get a couple of rings and play in three straight finals, and then bring him back on the back end of his career. That would be the most Philly thing ever. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. Do you I, want him back? Let us know. Six one zero. So who are, I, like, who I just, are some other people you'd like to banish away for years and then bring back? Like, we can't finish one thought now without. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I guess I guess people want him back because they liked him and think that he wasn't really valued appropriately here because he was supposed to be the star, and that's just not the player he is. But he's a very good player, and I'm fine with that. But he's going to cost a lot of money. And at 33 and with injury problems, I'm just sort of baffled why the Sixers crowd that like summarily dismissed any Kyle Lowry talk. And I know Lowry's not an option now that Fultz is here. But Lowry was 31, coming off three straight all-star seasons. And granted, he would have got a little more money and probably an extra year than Iguodala will get. Um, 
But the, like that was a complete non-option. This doesn't fit our timeline. It's a waste. It's whatever. He's a much better player, or he's a better player than Iguodala. I don't get the the recent like campaigning for Iguodala, even though it doesn't look like it's it's going to happen. He's probably going to command a lot of money that it doesn't make the Sixers sense for the Sixers to pay. If the Warriors don't keep him, he could go uh, genuinely contribute to a possible contender. So I don't know, Russ. Yeah, it's it's strange. I have little to no interest. I did have a dream last night. I know this is weird. Oh I, had a, I had a had a dream last night that Iggy was was legitimately back on the Sixers and was draining threes. And I don't know. I I never have sports dreams, so that was just strange. Um, Iggy well, actually was, is coming. That's he's, crazy. It's weird. Uh, I, had, so, I had a dream. I no. I what did you had a dream eat before like, sleeping last uh, night? Uh, Peyote. Turkey sandwich. Yeah, I, I had a dream know. Mike Missinelli went to a radio station in Baltimore. Hand the God. Wow. What did you guys Such... dream about? This I dreamed that old. I fed kibbles and bits to a unicorn. <laughs> what did you eat? <laughs> well, there's this, there's never, this never spicy mind. mushroom never. dish. Uh, okay, so anyway, Iguodala. <laughs> of our dreams. <laughs> Iguodala, uh, last year shot, I think, the second highest percentage Uh on threes in his career and I think that's something that I don't know I, I guess people kind of have maybe missed out on is that he's improved his outside game shot 36% last year from three um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense I I seen really no no path to him wanting to come back to Philly because if he's going to go from from a perennial contender and a team that he's now won titles with I don't know why on earth he'd want to come back to serve as like a mentor of sort of sorts for for the Sixers. Yeah, I he, say we move on to JJ Redick because yeah. I even just saw my company Bleacher Report put up there that JJ Redick is going to go to the Sixers. If it's truly between the Sixers and the Nets, I mean, I gotta think he's coming to the Sixers, which is crazy to me. I, I mean, I was the one all along going, he's a California guy, he wants to win and all that stuff, but man. Uh, <laughs> It, I mean, if he really between those two, I gotta think he's coming to the Sixers, which is going to be amazing. I think Bleacher Report's article. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you work there. Um, their whole premise was that the Sixers and the Nets were going to throw copious amounts of cash at him. I don't necessarily know that the idea was that like he's definitely going to sign with one of those two teams, but like he's the perfect fit for for what this team needs. Perfect. I mean, he he really does slot in as a as an excellent shooting shooting guard and a guy who will spread the floor even more for Fultz. And that, for there's that, and then um, also think about you got a good veteran who has a good head on his shoulders, who has a a good disciplined background. Uh, I wonder if he could activate anything out of Okafor and and go back to their Duke stuff. You um, mean the but, apparently slimmed down Jaleel Okafor? Yeah, well, that's every off season, but I, I think it would be it would be great, and I think we're going to learn a lot about the front office in terms of how much money they spend and are willing to spend, because we haven't really seen them like yeah, Gerald Henderson and and yeah, like point guard and stuff, but they haven't really spent money, and it'll be interesting to see how much they're willing to spend. I, I, you know what? It, you know, also interesting on the spending thing because. I, this was a, a notion, I would say, around the trade deadline when they got rid of Noel because they were kind of squeamish about having to max him and, and so on. For sure. Um, 
to your point, they ha- since Bynum, this ownership group hasn't really spent. Like, wow, you know, these guys want to spend. And that was all part of the tank. And I don't really, there's a lot of conspiracy. I'm, I'm echoing in someone's headphones, just, just a heads up. Uh, yeah, it might be you. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories like the Tony Brunos of the world were convinced these guys were frauds and never wanted to make money and so on. And I think all those guys have been proven to be somewhat wrong in their opinions. But to your point, Adam, we still haven't seen the Sixers as an organization under this ownership group, under this management group, really show what their commitment is. And this is the first chance they have to do it. However, I think they're going to want to thread the needle because if they go out and like were to sign a Kyle Lowry on top of Fultz or something and do something so foolish just to get back in the contention, people would freak out because it's like no, you're not you're not you're complete you have completely abandoned the process, the timelines don't work, all yeah. that sort of thing. So, I do think I they have to thread know. the needle. Like a 4-year deal for Redick would not make a lot of sense because that would prohibit them from um uh, re-signing Simmons and Sharich in 2020. Well, so I think how like much the they give. And it, it depends I mean, how much look, they give. Like, because like, look, Kyle, what if they it, what if they end up shocking? It us would, and they end up going. Uh, we're okay going over the luxury tax in a few years. Like, what if that happens? I, I don't think that I don't think that's unreasonable. I think if the time's right and they've that's shown what we all want right, but it if ain't our shown, money. If they've shown that they could be on the cusp of of a championship, I don't think you know an extra ten or twenty million dollars to an ownership group for a team. You know, if you win the championship or get to the finals or become oh, yeah. a a national team like a Warriors or, or a Cavs have done, you make up that money in spades anyway. So it, it's it's a worthwhile spend. I think now, like the ideal for Redick is, it, it, and and Derek Bodden wrote of course really well about this but you know he doesn't want anything longer than two years i'm not sure that gets it done i don't mind a three-year deal to reddick where you overpay him a little bit or a two-year deal where you just significantly overpay him because they have the cap space right now the problem occurs in 2020 uh when simmons and charge are going to come up and if you wanted to retain those guys and you know having a big contract on the books could could limit your options there in 2019 which is probably the year most people think the, the Sixers would really be ready to turn the key and pull in a big-name free agent and go for a title the following season, having Redick for that third year would hurt them. So a really pricey two-year deal, like almost as pricey as what Redick might be able to get in three years elsewhere, um, it, that might be a way to attract Redick. You just pay him so much money because you have the cap space in the short term and uh, overpay him. Kyle, I don't think... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but I don't think you're right, because the Sixers would own Prominent. the bird rights. The Sixers would own the bird rights to to uh, Simmons and Sarich, which allows them, uh, assuming they've played or they've they've been on the team for three years without having been waived or traded, which they obviously wouldn't have been, to exceed the salary cap for the purposes of re-signing their own guys. So the sure, but I guess, you're still gonna there's still gonna be other free agents you're gonna want to consider, and like yeah, you know, so like regardless of the bird rights, you're still gonna have. There's, but there's you won't be so prohibited be from signing like you won't be prohibited from signing your own guys right. but yeah like it, it could totally mess up next year when there are other free agents that might fit a better need I'll be interested to see if they make a run for Tony Allen who's 35 doesn't shoot well from three but he's he makes the all defensive I think it was all defensive second team this year uh, it kind of sounds like a Brett Brown sort of guy somebody who could be a really good leader who can 
kind of fit their vision of a of a lockdown defensive team and and play out on the wing and and maybe instill if you can't get Redick but you can get Tony Allen to come in at a reasonable salary and you can get him to kind of work with Simmons and uh and Fultz on how to really be a lockdown perimeter defender that could go a long way for their uh their progress as, as young players so and you I, guys I, know how I feel I'm okay if they don't sign anybody because the more playing time for these guys, the better. I didn't talk about Hayes' article. I know you guys did about putting him on the bench. I didn't think the, the article was crazy. But uh, let these young guys get run. But, yeah, if they get a good veteran like a JJ, I'm happy about it. I really want to see Tony I, – I, I'm sorry. I really want to see TLC get a lot of time. That I think that might be the only thing that's holding me back. And Korkmaz is supposed to come over. So, like, yeah, the question of – Right, where are these minutes supposed to come from is is a valid one. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure though. I mean, a guy like Redick right now isn't taking the ball out of he is he is helping the stars. Oh, for sure, the, the rookies having someone who they need someone who could shoot regardless of of who it is. Like you really do need to bring in someone who could space the floor a little bit because that is that is definitely their one weak spot. And I don't think signing a Redick. They have so much cap space in the near term that it hurts nothing. It doesn't hurt the growth. It doesn't hurt future flexibility. Again, if you don't sign them for too long, like Russ, even in three years, it's still going to prohibit you from other free agents and how much you actually want to spend and all that stuff, regardless of the bird rights for those guys. Um, but if you if you could spend a lot over the next two years on someone like that, it's fine to have a more competitive team. I think everyone would like that. There's nothing wrong with that. We've 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 gone through the tanking thing. We don't. We're not counting losses anymore. Um, it makes the guys better, and it's it's a better environment. If you could put a competitive team on the floor and let these guys these guys play meaningful games in a playoff series or two the next couple of years, that only helps them either way. So I'm all in on Redick. I really like an Otto Porter Jr. It sounds like the Wizards want to retain him, but he's yeah. only 24. He didn't shoot well from tremendously well from three his first two years. Uh, but I think he was up around 40% last year. He only shot four a game. He's not like, you know, he's, he's not Steph Curry jacking up 10 a game. But at at 6'8", a good three-point shooter, at 24 years old, that's the sort of guy I think that we could, you know, you could pay and they could stick around for a while and be part of the court, unlike Redick, who's who's 33. Then yeah. again, three-point shooter's age, you know. I mean, Ray Allen is like, what, 49 and, you know. We have all seen the old dude at the basketball camp hitting 100 shots in a row. If you can shoot, you can shoot, and that is a skill. And J.J.'s got a bunch of more years left. I was going to move to questions unless you had one more thing to say, Russ. I was just going to say Otto Porter would be an interesting play. It's just, For sure. I, don't, I just don't know if Washington is going to let him go. They have the right to match any, any yeah, offer. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they are. So. Uh, first one, Jared Shelley. I think we don't even need to spend too much time. If Embiid gets hurt, how bad does that hurt the Sixers' chances of rebuilding? Uh, to me, he's a real game changer on this roster. I think we'd all say, e- obviously. Uh, yeah. I think I'll, it's. I'll, I think he's the cornerstone. If he gets hurt, we're fucked. Yeah, he's I, the only. He's only like top five talent they have right now. Like I, a healthy, a healthy Embiid transcends the game. He's he does. I, I'm not going to disagree with you guys. All right, there. Currently, currently oh, no, wait, rank. On. Currently on, rank. I was just say currently rank Sixers most important to the process. I was going to go Embiid one, Fultz two, Simmons three. I might switch those last two. Charge yeah, I think four. I would too. I think I'd go Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, the Sacramento pick. I'm just kidding. 
I think Simmons has the high the higher upside between him and Fultz, just given his size and and the fact that he's just sort of such a unique talent and a, you know a LeBron like talent like a, a LeBron like skill set I should say and at his size being able to handle the ball he could be truly truly great. Here, my thing with I agree Embiid's number one for sure and him getting hurt is would be a big problem because he's the one guy we've talked about this before where I think within a year or two or maybe already he's one of the few guys in the league that could single-handedly win games when when he's on. Um, that said, and I wrote this before the trade went down and whatever, the reason getting faults was the ideal option is because you now you even if even if Embiid were to get hurt and his career is shot and moment of silence for Joel Embiid's knee there it is. Even if he were to get hurt and whoa, go down. Whoa, hold on. Whoa, Even whoa. if he were to get hurt. Don't disrespect the moment of silence like that. And now a real moment of silence for Joel Embiid's entire body. Please continue. So, even if his career is like shot. The fact that you have Fultz and Simmons, you still have two number ones in a row, which most teams would give their left nut for, right? So I, I don't think you can have to completely write off the process if Embiid doesn't work. It, does it hurt? Does it sting? Does it make this that much of a longer shot? Absolutely. But I, you still have the number one pick, two drafts in a row, and super high upside guy. So it's not like if Fultz and Simmons were to both hit their ceilings or you know 90% of, of their target ceiling and Embiid gets hurt, you still have a really good team. Like Most teams would still kill for that. So I don't think it's totally written off, but yeah, of course it it, it is not good. CMillZ903, do you see the super team trend carrying over to any other sports? If so, what won? What do you think, Russ? You cut out on me. I didn't totally hear that. Uh, do you, if you think super team trends can carry to other sports, I'm going to tell you that I do not think it's possible in the NFL. Uh, there's too many positions so that it you just don't have enough impact and the salary cap prevents you from having too many good players. The only sport that I was thinking possibly was the NHL because um, I, don't, I don't really see that happening in baseball either. Um, man, like hockey's still rough because of the salary cap. You need a you need a bunch of these guys to hit free agency. At the then same it's got to be baseball. Yeah, like baseball could make sense, even though. But like, who cares about baseball? Um, baseball Oof. would be interesting. What is it? Next is the summer of eighteen, or the summer of nineteen is when uh, Machado and Harper are both free agents at the same time. Like picking your destination like that would be would be interesting. But I still don't know. I don't know if that really makes you a super team because you've got you still have so many positions to fill in the lineup. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fo- and football is almost impossible to kind of stack. The only thing that I can think that that kind of went super team on me was when Randy Moss played for the the Patriots yeah. because like the Tom Brady's of the world who are willing to take cuts in their salary just so they can uh, get other guys to sign on. Like it really has to take a selfless group of guys to say like. I have enough in advertising and endorsements that I can take 
you know, less money against the cap to let more guys come in. And what's funny is, don't forget this. Everyone now looks back at that 2007 Patriots team and was like, man, wow, they got Randy Moss. That was crazy. This was Randy Moss after Oakland. This is Randy Moss when people said he was old and washed up and too much of a troublemaker to play. He got to New England and then broke every record that was like imaginable for a single season. So it, no one thought that was a super team at the time, but it it's going to take situations like that in the NFL to happen, like an like an older OBJ that people are annoyed with. Yeah, Russ, I, I I actually that's a good point about the Patriots. I think like you could have it, it takes like a Hall of Fame quarterback to lure those sorts of guys. To, hey, I want to do anything to be on this team. I, I will do anything in my career to play for the Patriots. Um, but the, like the notion of, of a super team, I think is just I don't know why I put the inflection point there. Um, super team. Super team. Uh, I, I don't know. It, like it, It's unique to basketball because it's the only sport where you could have two guys or three guys. And, yeah. you know, they're taking up 40% of your minutes and 60% of your shots. And there's so few guys on a basketball court. And it's so, such a star-driven league. I think that's one. I think baseball, in theory, could do it because there's not really a true cap. The problem is, and, you know, thanks to the sports bubble, you know, these guys, like, Harper and Machado could wind up getting three, four hundred million dollars, and it, you know there's only even the Yankees at a certain point aren't going to you know spend a billion dollars on contracts. So I, I just think baseball has since there's no limit on the deals makes it really tough. Um, the salary cap in basketball almost allows that situation because a guy like LeBron is more or less underpaid. The fact that you know he's going to be making the same as Kyle Lowry last year. Tells next year tells you all you need to know. Um, so I, you know, hockey's a little bit different. I guess you kind of argue the Penguins with Crosby and Malkin are, but their cap is pretty prohibitive. Um, it just doesn't really lend itself to hockey. I think the the concept with the NBA just being a star driven league and it's being about players and personalities where guys can go sit on a banana yeah, boat or go out to the Hamptons and recruit each other and and know that if you put three of them together you have a great team. I don't think in any sport that's really the case unless Russ to your point you're Tom Brady and you're recruiting, you know, one or two vets to to play take a pay cut. But well, I, hey, I, don't, I just don't look, think the concept look, applies. We have we have a future Hall of Famer, Carson Wentz. Alshon wanted to play with him. Legarrette wants to play with him. It's begun. Speaking of super teams, you know, five ten years ago, sports media was all about assembling all the best writers and all the best people. And across the industry, it's beginning to kind of crumble. And we see it locally. Uh, you wrote an article, Kyle D. Linum, uh, Tim Panaccio gone. Uh, you've talked about it with the written word uh speaking wise uh what's your take on what's going on right now uh yeah i mean so like wednesday we talked about i think and on multiple occasions in the past we've talked about the business of sports media and why you know court cutting and all that stuff and uh, all that is is the driving factor behind this but i wrote yesterday and i think on an individual level and why certain positions like Pinaccio and Lynam are expendable. Whereas if you look at people, maybe at ESPN is a better example here, but look at the Adam Schefters of the world, look at the Stephen A. Smiths of the world. Why did those people survive and the, the writers and the Ed Werders of the world did not? And what I wrote about Pinaccio and Lynam, I think could apply to any of these places is I'm still getting feedback on someone's end, just a heads up. Um, it, so I feel like 
lost my train of thought there. Um, you have people like Stephen A. Smith drives revenue because he's incisive, even though everyone hates him. A, a an Adam Schefter or bringing on Woj like ESPN just did is indispensable because they are the singular newsbreaker. The Bob Lees of the world are, are indispensable because they're the, they actually do good journalism, documentary style stuff. But then someone like Pinaccio or Lynam, a specialist who specializes in covering a team, whether it's with written word in Pinaccio's case or through, you know, kind of traditional TV packages. She's more of a post-game show person lately. But D was, you know, the person in the locker room. I spoke to the coach. They said this. And I feel like the role of Pinaccio I wrote yesterday is someone who goes to the game and just writes about what happened. You have to evolve because no one no one is needs or really wants to read the written account of a game now. If you really want to know what happened in a game, just pick up your phone. You can watch the two-minute highlight clip that is widely available. If you're D-Lineham and you're just in the locker room, like I've talked to a lot of TV people and former TV people, and their world is like, creating a package. You go to an event, you bring a camera guy, and you spend that entire event, and Adam as a TV guy, you could probably speak to this, but you spend the entire event putting together your package, putting together a 90-second clip, a cut, package, whatever whatever the industry lingo is. You edit it together, and and then there it is. And now, like, that, that sort of notion, especially covering sports, where you're just like, well, I talked to the coach, I got the soundbite, I got the man on the street soundbite, uh, I'm given a highlight, and here's my voiceover, and then there's the clip, and it's over. I feel like the no, like the, the need for that nowadays, that is not the best use of money. Most of the most compelling video out there, and this is, I think, what the networks get wrong. It's what Fox News is getting, Fox Sports is getting wrong on their website, going to all TV clips. I think CSN gets this wrong on their website. Everything is the sort of, they're either TV clips or T- clips that look like they would have belonged on TV, if debate segments, what video that works on the internet, and I think news companies are figuring this out, is not what works on TV. They're like, well, no one watches news videos on the internet. Yes, because that is not the format of video. I think the, the classic format of video for mobile is look at the Snapchat stories from, uh, not the stories, whatever those, um, you know, like the, the categories are from ESPN or TMZ, whatever the partners are they have in Snapchat. Those videos are edited for mobile. Uh, they are edited for short attention spans. And they're just like, they're cut differently. And I feel like the notion of someone like D who goes to a locker room, puts together a package, has it, and that you can't, there's no value in that anymore or diminishing value. And it makes people like that expendable because they came up in this era where you did your job this way and this is what you tell people what happened at the event and then that's it. Like they need to serve a different function now. And people who couldn't evolve or be versatile have become expendable. Adam, I'm sure you have thoughts on this because you're a Yeah, TV I just dominant. I disagree with you on a lot. Uh, I agree with okay. you on a lot and I disagree with you on a lot. I agree with you that going and doing the story uh, and and kind of filing it and then being done is over. Uh, reporters have to be 24/7. You have to connect with people on social. You have to create like a brand. Um, I watched uh, some people down in the Memphis Grizzlies this year. They created their own sort of social media team, and it it, it was. The difference is is that you can go in and you can do the game story about how the team missed a lot of threes, but 
You also need to carry to, to touch on the the personal elements of the players. You know, it's the the fans don't always want to know why we lost. They also want to know what are the guys doing after the game. What do they think about the new social media thing that just dropped? So the, it's finding the other stories in there as well. Um, now, in terms of like edited video not working online. Um, I, I don't know. I see clips from studio shows online all the time that go viral. Stephen A. Smith talking about, you know, his opinions about Phil Jackson signing Lamar Odom, who was on crack. Um, that was everywhere. So I, I think But opinion, those are few and far between. Like usually when so his time videos out, go hold viral, on, it's hold because on, people time think out, he's an idiot. Time out. You went. Let me go. Right. Um, so the other thing I would say is... Uh, the problem that I see from a lot of local media with what they put online is it's either a straight regurgitation or they're all going to the still images with words over them, which I think will run its course. Um, fuck, now I lost my train of thought. Um, all right, what were you going to say? I'm going to try and think about what I was going to say. Uh, Like with Stephen A. Smith, I think most of the time those clips or Skip's clips go viral. It's usually because they have said something so absurd and it's people pointing out, not debating with them, but it's like, uh, like look at the nonsense that these companies put on TV. I would say nine times out, eight times out of 10, that's when it goes viral. I admit that I agree. The Stephen A. Smith thing the other day was funny. Like that was genuinely funny, his thing about crack. But most of the time, it's like, look how absurd these people are. I So I don't know if I agree with you there. But I do agree with you on the text thing. Like, you could clearly see the the current format yeah i mean bleach report we have we have an entire department that does that stuff and that's just that's the scary thing from an on-air talent perspective is people there's an, an insane amount of people that watch videos without the sound on um like it's it's some staggering number of young people it's like 80 percent of people don't even watch it with the sound on and that's why text is so important and that's why when when i have videos i go hey i need closed captioning because we're not putting this straight out i think the the other like i really think that what you choose to do your story on is why we're not seeing the transition from from broadcast to online i do think there's something about having it be more raw and if you were to be an on-air talent in a local market um i don't i think you can either do it on the stu- on the set but i think you could also just do it on your cell phone and i think people would enjoy that more but what you're talking about is the key i always respect d lineham i think that uh she really had the ears of the coaching staff and the front office and she really knew what was going on and i think that when the sixers would move on from someone i knew that d was going to give me the real reason why she was not going to just go well here's what I think it is she knew why um I think sometimes when you're that close to a team though um I don't know the reason she got let let, let go um, I I I I hope she's okay because it's tough for anyone in this business but what you're doing your stories on you talked about it whether it's analytics based I don't know if that will resonate with more people online we see Derek Bodner doing it but that's in long form text so from the video perspective 
it's got to be connecting with these guys. You know, you got to have someone that Fultz is going to see and light up when they walk in, or Simmons is going to, you know, want to talk to and trust, or want to do a feature where he's walking around town. Like, you know, if there was a feature about Embiid's going to different sta- uh, cheesesteak places, or, you know, Embiid going and getting his hair cut, or going and ranking top, like, like, I just know what I would do. Like, I'm in there, get, like, if Jay Z's album just came out, and they're in there going, Simmons, are you working on your shot? Fultz, are you working on your defense? And I was like, Yo, what do you guys think of four four four? And we and I did a like a like a, a package where it was them kind of mashing it up and all that stuff and blah, blah, blah. like that would do really well. Just because it's current, it's and they want to talk about it. Like I've been around athletes too much to know what they get tired of talking about and what it's like being the guy in the room that asks the other stuff. And like, yes, traditional media. When I first started doing it, when I was in Louisville and stuff, they would roll their eyes and they'd be like, where am I going to use this? And did I use it on the local news? No, but I posted it online. And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, wow, this is getting a lot of retweets, a lot of favorites and blah, 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 blah. And then when I would go in and ask the real football stuff or the real basketball stuff, guess who they wanted to talk to? Because you're treating them like humans. So, you know, it's that it's that mix of, of doing both. But I don't think that's the reason she got let go. That's just what I would do differently. Yeah, I mean, I think the specific reason for her and Panaccio is, is CSN is looking for versatile. And those guys were, you know, they were, they were specialists. Did you but hear that or is that just a guess? That is uh, it, not per- specific to them, but for a year now. I mean, that is why... Uh, Ron Burke and Leslie and Neil, they're looking for people that are not just anchors or not just team-specific reporters. They're looking for people who can debate and do web stuff and do on-air stuff and podcasts for them. Like that, I'm, I'm fairly confident in, in that being the reason for all of these. And, you know, I, I think specifically, if you look at someone like Panaccio, like just is really was bringing nothing to the table. I agree that D really knew the Sixers. Her enthusiasm came across. That wasn't the case for Panaccio. And it's unfortunate because she was on there for 10 game seasons and actually did have a lot of insight. But I, where I guess I would um, disagree, just fundamentally disagree with you is... I agree. Like what you guys do, what you do with athletes, especially Bleacher Report, is different. You have them in a more casual environment. You play video games with guys. You have them on the podcast. Like it's a little more relaxed. And that thing really seems to work nowadays because, like you said, you're treating them like humans, and you're not just throwing a mic in front of their face and trying to, you know, like like you're reporting at the White House. Like at the end of the day, this is sports and it's entertainment, and you're doing something more akin to what extra does with celebrities than what, um, you know, a White House reporter does at the podium, right? And and that's fine. Like that's how sports should be. It should be fun. It should be light for the most part. I think. Where I would disagree with you is like, you know, oh, you say they want someone like D in the locker room, maybe getting the real inside story of what happened. And I would say nine times out of 10, that doesn't really happen in that locker room setting. And it doesn't happen in a traditional media setting. These guys are very well coached and they're typically not relaxed in those settings. And whether it's a press conference or talking to a guy at his locker, you're never getting the real story. And I would argue that that sort of top-down style of reporting where you go to the event, you go to the game, and you tell everyone what happened, and you tell people what the principal said, 
that is not as interesting. And whether it's analytics or some sort of other analysis, I'll look at like Corey Seidman. It will compare apples to apples here at CSN. When he goes on the postgame show for the Phillies, and I know a lot of people aren't watching it now, but he's not a former player. He's not in there um, interviewing the athletes, but he is very analytical about baseball and not super stats-based, just really well-versed in in the process of you know why they might want to call a guy up, what it means for their contract. He looks at their stats. He looks at the way they've been playing. Like he's not just a numbers guy. He actually, you know, quote unquote, watches the games. That sort of outsider thing where you could be super critical, to me, or, or you know, in both positive and in a positive and negative way, is better than that top down. I'm going to go and and tell you what the people involved said because they're always going to give the the best version of events that they know it. I had this conversation with Ryan Lawrence on Twitter. He's like, don't you think you can more adequately criticize someone if you're there or you have to look them in the face? And I would argue that, yes, like at times being away allows you to throw pot shots that you wouldn't or shouldn't otherwise throw. And I'm I'm, I'm as guilty as that as anyone. But I also think I would argue just as much it allows you to be more fair about judging guys because you don't have to look them in the face and you can you can genuinely criticize someone and not in the back of your don't, mind think yeah don't take where's this, my line don't take this the wrong way um if you could do your criticisms to someone's face then you are a you're a man like you're a special kind of man because it's very easy to talk shit behind someone's back but um, I'm not even talking. Forget about talking shit. Right. I, but I, like, I will just different. say this. But hold on. Let me say this to you. I have had a conversation with Dave McMenamin at ESPN, and we were talking about um, the story he got with uh, LeBron when LeBron went off, I think, on Barkley and all that stuff. And he said, you know, when you're in the locker room all the time, they trust you, and then they pull you aside, and they tell you one when all the other reporters aren't aware around, and that's when the big news thing comes out. But we haven't had really anyone locally do that in Philly for a long time. And I would also wonder if the notion of a local guy is enough. Uh, a lot of these guys, you know, when the ESPN guy comes into town or when the, the national NBA guy comes into town, then all of a sudden the news comes out. The if, if a player wants to make news is going to the local guy as impactful. But being there and building that trust to then get the side story. Because, look, man, when you're a good reporter, you might go out with a player. You know, you might go and get dinner with them and all that stuff. And you know so much that's going on, you can't reveal all of it. But when you can, you could unload. Yeah, and I think we're... we're One last thing, then you can go, Russ. I think we're comparing reporting to, you know, commenting and and critiquing or criticizing or analyzing. There's definitely two different things there. So, you know, I... I would say on the the reporting thing you talked about, the local versus national guy is important because the national guy doesn't have as much to lose. He has enough of a profile in many cases where he could go in there and ruffle some feathers and maybe piss off the team or piss off the player, you know, to get the real story. And the local beat guy is his entire his or her entire existence is based on being granted access by the team. The minute, not even saying like a press credential revoked, but the minute they are blackballed by a team or a coach or a, a PR department, 
their job's essentially over. And if they go too far and piss off the team, and you know, it can make their lives and their livelihoods very difficult. So they don't have that sort of leverage. And I think that is what like Lawrence and I were talking about. It's like you can only be so critical if you have to see a guy every day. I don't think it is very tough for a a local beat guy to give a truly, whether it's their opinion or, I, I talk more about a opinion and analyzing or, or you know, critiquing, and, and critiquing means both positive and negative. It's truly tough for that guy to really keep it real when things are like obviously sour and bad or a situation's not working or a player's not working because if they have to be not only in front of them every day, but they need that access to exist. I think that's where the problem creeps in. And I agree, like, you're a man if you could do it, but it that is an extremely tough situation and it breeds, it, you know, it breeds people pulling punches sometimes that, that you know, don't need to be to be pulled all the time. That, that's all I'll say in that regard. Russ? As the, uh, the most experienced TV guy here, <laughs> uh, now, like, I, I think as, as a fan, D-Linem was somebody who I had a love-hate relationship with and the way that she covered the team. If you look back, and I, maybe this goes across to all of the CSN Philly insiders, as they like to call them, I couldn't tell you the last time that one of them broke news about the team, positive or negative. Like, if you think about it, when I think it was the spring and the early summer, Jackie McMullen had two or three different articles where she kind of broke news about Joel Embiid. And that didn't come from, from somebody who's with the team every day, which is weird to me. And, and I think that's something that, like, the CSNs of the world have to kind of figure out. If they're going to stay relevant... They've got to figure out a way to let their talent break news and to have it and, and to maintain a relationship with the team. Because like when Jessica Camerato got brought in by CSN as like the CSN Philly NBA reporter for the Sixers, that that to me just kind of signaled the end for D. And when like the Molly Sullivans of the world were hired to be the sideline reporter, like that was just another way I thought that they were kind of pushing D out. Now, that was like the last three or four years because there were different people that did it. But the idea of, of D Lynham as like this really engaging post-game analyst wasn't there. Like, I think she's got the smarts. She kind of reminds me a little bit of Doris Burke. Like, I think I could listen to D Lynham talk about basketball for a while because I think she's very knowledgeable about the sport. Yeah. But she's not somebody who I think pushes who like pushes me to watch the pre and post game show. And certainly like she and her dad's dynamic, it like, I always felt that was a little bit weird. I, th- I like, I think it's fine that, that they did it together. I think it's great that, you know, like she kind of paid homage every time to her dad because her dad coached and she learned so much of what she knows about the game from her dad. But like, that's the kind of thing that I thought CSN should have broken up a while ago. Cause I don't necessarily know what her, what her dad brings to the table on the the pre and post game show either like this is i think is kind of well he's a long time coach least, i understand he, his he does but like i don't feel like what he brings to the table is something that that you just can't get anywhere else like yeah, i think I there are i think it's like it's worth noting that for csn where they go through so many different people on pre and post game shows like former players they really haven't done that with former coaches. Like there have been so many assistant coaches that have gone through this city that I think if they just did a rotation, I'm not saying Jim Lynham's bad. I'm just saying like, I think it's good to mix up voices sometimes that that could maybe go a long way for them. 
Um, it, it's well, weird, I, though, because, like, Panaccio, if I had to compare Panaccio and Lineham, like, it's not even close. Because Panaccio not only didn't break news, but anytime he was on TV, I felt like he was always just kind of making a joke out of out of what his job was. And, like, not in a good way. Not in, like, a being witty and sarcastic. Just kind of, like, almost being a... I don't know, like a, a caricature of, yeah, but like just being this guy who would come on TV. Yeah. Curmudgeon's a good word for it because he would just come on. He would always be really salty and, and just not add a whole lot. And like, again, he never broke stories. And then like, you could go in on like the Carchides of the world, but like, I would take, I guess what, what he does over what Panaccio does. Cause Panaccio stuff really took nothing outside of like, like you said, what happened during the game. Panaccio didn't connect dots. He didn't go. It never felt like he was getting to know the players. I can't imagine there was a player in that locker room who, when they saw Tim Panaccio come in, to Adam's point, would like light up and want to go tell him things. Like it always kind of strikes me as like Panaccio was the guy who would come in and ask questions and just kind of give the heebie-jeebies to the team. Or it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to answer this guy's, this guy's question. How do I avoid it? Oh, he's coming my way. I think I might have to have. Uh, some stomach cramps by the time he gets to me. Panaccio's a guy that, like, I can't believe they kept on as long as they did. And I think pretty much anybody else they can find at this point is going to be an upgrade. Let me, um, your thing about um, local media and not breaking stories or whatever, you know, part of that, especially with Comcast, you know, they're, they're in these very entangled relationships. And this is why ESPN for a while outside the lines does a good job of, of staying outside of this but for a while had trouble adequately covering the say the concussion thing in the nfl and stuff like that uh csn has a lot of tangled relationships particularly with the three teams whose games they broadcast they're yeah they're- I, i'm i'm starting to rub. i don't give a shit about breaking news what we're kind of talking about with d is just like entertaining pre and post game discussion and like well like i don't i don't think there's any money in breaking news either all right. Yeah, but because uh, once I, it's on I, Twitter, I, who cares where it came from? Not no, even. But like, hold Adam, on. I, what hold I, on. Hold I'm on. saying. Let, no, no. Let thought. me cl- let, let me clarify this thing. So, like, when I'm saying breaking you, news, I'm. All right, go ahead. You're. All right. I know you're what you're going to say. It's not about. It's not about breaking news. Oh, who's the trade? Who's getting cut? Like, I agree. That is commodity news. I think what Adam is talking about is that you're not any unique story so like the nfl concussion thing it's not about breaking the story it's about actually getting the story things like player acquisitions and trades though like those items of news are going to break it's just who could do it first but there are other stories and and what real reporting is is getting stories that wouldn't exist unless you actually go find them right now this maybe isn't the perfect example um, but it's the one where I have a little bit of experience in. Take the Riley Cooper video for a second. Now, that video was probably going to get out there because the guy wanted to get it out there who had it. But he first took it to Mike Missanelli. And keep in mind, Mike's not a, you know, of, of any of the local mainstream guys. Mike isn't a beat guy. He doesn't really have anything to lose by pissing off the Eagles. But 97.5 has a business relationship with the Eagles. And he saw that and he, I mean, he has told this story. I talked to the guy who had the video and Mike was like, look, we can't break this on the air. Like we, we will, we will uh, ostracize the Eagles if we put out this Cooper video. Go give it to a site like Crossing Broad, and that's exactly what the guy did. And that is the situation that I think you're talking about, Russ, about like breaking stories, or that when I talk about like this top-down style of thing, where if you're too close to the situation or have something to lose 
by breaking an unfavorable story. And granted, those things in sports generally, there's generally not that many important stories that there are in many other categories and, and instances of real life. But when there are stories that teams don't want out there, if there's a truly an incisive look at what went down behind the scenes between Dolan and Phil Jackson, you know, that it might be tough if there is a guy who covers the Knicks and wants to maintain favorable access for them to unearth that story or the Riley Cooper thing. And I I think that's what you're talking about, Russ, when you talk about like breaking stories or, or, or breaking news. It's not the little tidbit that was going to get out there anyway. It's like the actual, like finding a story that, that you have to locate. That's part of it. The, like the, I guess the other part of it is when, when I read something like, was posted about faults and by faults on Players Tribune. Like those are the kind of stories that I think the CSN. But that's of the why world local be. news is fucked. Because yeah, there's stuff I, like I, Players Tribune. Like, like that's why I think sometimes our that's expectations our point. That's for our local media. That's our point. Yeah. So then, then don't bemoan Comcast and be like, man, I wish D Lineham had her own website where players could write their own shit. Well, no one, no, no one said that. I, I'm. That, no. I, that's what we're saying. Like, that's saying, why she's expendable. That's the point. No, I, I don't even know if that's what I'm getting. I, I'm just fucked. saying for <laughs> everybody else. Like, if those stories are out there to be had, those are the kind of stories that that I, as maybe in my my age group, wants to read about. I want to get to know about Fultz, about Simmons, about Embiid, TLC, about Sarich, McConnell. Like, I want to know about these guys other than what they're doing on, on the practice floor. Like, I... I follow six or seven different beat writers. Like I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what goes on at, at practice, and like what drills they're running. Like that's fine, but for a, a CSN person to go and actually like sit down with a guy and and have that kind of comfortable relationship, where you know Fultz can share his his affinity for Chick Fil A, and I guess this maybe comes back to Adam's point again, to be that person who like does the short video for CSNPhilly.com where they're going around to like a Chick Fil A with Fultz. And talking about like his pregame ritual and and where that started and like getting that kind of story like that's interesting unique content and that's something that I think the people who are employed by a CSN Philly of the world should be able to get. Yeah, but I think I disagree yeah, with you in that I, the I, players can do that themselves. That's they can the do new the players. Why, yeah, why give it to Comcast Sportsnet when he has a Twitter account and right. an Instagram? It's a really, really, really trying time for media. That's why I don't like saying they could do better because really it's just easier for the player to put it out on their own thing and get all the likes. The other thing I want to say because we need to move to questions because we got to wrap up um, is for anyone that thinks that the Players' Tribune articles are written by the players, you are sadly mistaken. I it's, actually think Fultz dictated his. I Well, I'm telling you that I'm glad for you to feel that innocent. Like, I hope did you, you actually in read Santa it? Claus. There's, did you actually read that? Because he gave All I'm telling he, you is I was with Josh Norman when he read his Players' Tribune article, and he went, I didn't say any of this shit. So... I'm just going to say Fultz that did a video some of them are going to be great. And it sounded just like he almost word for word what was in his piece. It sounded like he dictated his piece to someone because I agree. That's some what it are is. Very it's well a dictation. Written. That's what the Players' yeah. Tribune is. But yeah, then they, they, you know, they, they add little quotes and stuff that we get excited about. Like, let's go. And you're like, they never saw Carson Wentz's. That, that was Wentz's. Like, I'm convinced Wentz never saw his piece before it went out there. Because it was about, right. like, battling on the tundra with bleeding knuckles. It was, like, it was written for the yeah, guys, that's the ridiculous. Philly fan. All yeah. right, let's get to some wrap-up with some questions. Um, 
Uh, Coach Chris Liu, fast forward 10 years, sports talk radio locally, is it still viable? I think it still exists in the yeah, capacity. Yeah, because there's a that, lot of money. That newspapers are today, where it exists because the business model still allows for some sort of income, but it's very. I disagree. Clear. Sports talk radio is the only one that hasn't changed in the last 50 years. No, I totally yeah, at least not in this. At least not in this market. It's just I think you know what's going to change sports talk radio cars. If if people keep doing what we're doing right now and listen to podcasts on their cars and Bluetooth or whatever, and radio doesn't keep up, that that'll be interesting. What, Forget about Bluetooth. Most almost every new car now has the ability to connect cellular and that's only going to in 10 years from now forget about self-driving cars or whatever i mean we that's a whole nother conversation i i would find it extremely unlikely that the minute you drove your car off the lot it just wasn't a given that you are connected to the internet the way you're connected to a radio signal today Be and that, apple, that's apple the and, problem apple and android auto are are really changing that game yeah. Or like for me it, in my it dashboard, takes, it, takes, it is as easy to listen to this podcast as it is to put on the radio. Maybe even yeah. easier. Yep. The only thing it's I want to say is when people get in their car in Philly and it's football season, they're going to want to talk about the Eagles. How whether they listen to local radio podcasts like this and whether it's like a daily thing, it, it'll it'll be interesting. B. Harahan, ESPN overpaid for content because they were fat from collecting seven dollars per subscriber. How did they command seven dollars per to begin with? Uh, I can't explain it to you, but I would recommend reading the book. Those guys have all the fun. It's literally like a hundred pages of how ESPN uh, built their like the whole business and they went from cable company to cable company and sold it to them and they put it in your bill and people didn't start realizing it until they started breaking it down a la carte a few years ago they had the sports rights that's this is like once they started getting the rights it, it and and the cool factor it was like no cable no cable provider could offer a package without ESPN. I think that's that's how they did it. And then once they got football, it was it was game over. You had a you had to offer it in your cable yeah. package. And then let's end with Mo underscore Khan. Should the Flyers bring back Yarg, Star Trek or Star Wars? And are you a fan of setting off fireworks on the fourth or are you afraid of ending up like JPP? So Russ, should they bring back yeah. Yarg? I think that was an autocorrect from Yager. Yes. <laughs> Actually, that definitely was. Um, I don't know. I, I had this back and forth I want a him he's last funny. night. I just want I, the fireworks question here, Russ. Right, the other stuff is nonsense. I just want well, hold talk. on. Answer, uh, the, no. answer the fireworks. Yeah, I mean, answer Yager. So yes or no? Yager, uh, on, on the right deal. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you going, eh? about he's the, the, full, like literally like i want him i don't give a shit how old he, he is. outperformed <laughs> see i'm 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 not going down a flyer's hole today but like that guy at age 45 oh i agree he's, outperformed he's so many guys on this flyers team and if anybody is going to try to tell me that at the right deal yarmir yager is not worth it there are people who are who are are currently writing articles about how the flyers should reunite with scott hartnell who had less points last year nine less then Yarmir Yager did at age 45. That's you give me I don't even the, need the right the best, deal. Pay that man a lot of money. Best, I don't give a fuck. It'd be cool. Well, <laughs> you can't really pay, I don't want to pay him a lot. Why, of money. dude? The Flyers are not close to winning a Stanley Cup. Like, who gives a shit? Because you're not going to have a lot of money to give. You've got $12 million in cap space, and you've got free agents that you that you need to re-sign. Yeah, That's why. Yager. 
I mean, you don't have. Real thing. I mean, Adam, if you had seventeen or, or twenty million dollars, then it's like, yeah, give them all the money. Well, you don't have all the money, so like that's why it has to be at the right contract. All like right. Star Trek he, or Star Wars. Uh, I like the new the new Star Trek. Adam, these, Star these are one more Yeah, Star Wars. Star Wars. I like the new Star Trek better than Star the old Trek, Star Trek. They're wearing onesies. Uh, and then, are you a fan of setting it's off fireworks funny. on the fourth, or are you afraid of ending up like Jason Pierre-Paul? Uh, you guys I are will, both fathers. Are you doing uh, fireworks? Kyle's probably afraid of doing fireworks. I am. I am a hundred percent afraid of fireworks. Uh, and the only Girl, small story me. I will tell is the hashtag Kyle's HOA meeting was lit the other night, and the for me the highlight of the meeting was the woman who was arguing that her neighbors hated fun because people told the HOA on her when she was setting off fireworks in the common area under the pavilion, under the wooden pavilion, <laughs> by the way. And she claimed only the sparklers were under the wooden pavilion. And the, ever, the board was like, yes, but it's still a fire hazard. And it says right here in the rules, if you set off fireworks, it has to be on your own property and not in the common areas. And she was like, well, you know, I would never call on someone because I don't hate fun. So apparently we all hate fun here, but I'm what scared was her to name? death of fireworks. I'm not going to give out her name, and I don't even know it, to be honest. Well, she's Ruth. my favorite person on your Ruth. block. Her Ruth. <laughs> she had spunk. I'll, I'll give it that. But she thinks everyone hates fun. Oh, to say she had spunk, is she an older lady? She is. Yeah, I... Uh, I for will the kids. She wanted to set off the fireworks for the kids. And, and I will, You, know what? you can't I'll, do it in the it. common area. It's not your property. I'm just going to be real. You get it, Brenda. Get it, Brenda. You you let those kids have fun. I'm not doing Here's fireworks. You, I'm not mowing a lawn when I got a lawn. Like all those things are just low. Like like there are very few times where I've really enjoyed fireworks. Louisville has the largest fireworks show in the world. It's called Thunder Over Louisville, and that was worth it. Phillies games when they do it at July Fourth, great. But even if you go out and spend like thousands of dollars on fireworks, that shit is going to be boring as hell. Like it lasts like a minute and a half and you're like, eh, I remember at the vet, that was cooler. Like it's, <laughs> and then for what? To possibly burn your face off. I can't believe this. Russ, Russ, I'm, you final word on fireworks. I bet I feel like you like them. I like setting off fireworks. You're from yeah. Pottsville. Of course you do. Am I really? I didn't know that. I don't think our <laughs> listeners knew that at this point. Kyle? I feel um, like I feel like in so, Central PA, that's like your, your main form of entertainment. Yeah. Well, it is fun. Uh, there was, there was <laughs> they a, really scare the cows. There was, <laughs> hey, we didn't have cows. I will tell you that. Uh, the only cows that we had were converted into patties, and we, we grilled them on the 4th. Um, I like... Yeah. Oh. Oh. That's right. You. Uh. You guys are going quasi vegan now. God forbid I mentioned meat. Um. The. Uh, I. I like setting off fireworks. I know they're not nearly as cool as the stuff that you can get at the at the sports complex or when the city sets it up. But like that's part of the thrill. Part of the thrill is am I gonna am I gonna burn myself? Yeah. And, that uh, sounds stupid. Say all the thrill. It, that is. Well, I mean, it is stupid. But like, it's it's fun to like go set off the bottle rockets. The it's only thing thrill. that I. The only thing that I don't like is I I hate the people who decide that they're going to try to hold on. I guess this is a byproduct of where I grew up. The people who would have competitions of like, hey, everybody's going to grab a bottle rocket by the stick and whoever holds on to it last wins. I never did that kind of stuff because I value my limbs too much. But like the idea of setting off some fireworks for the family, like that's fun. All right. I'm guaranteeing this right now. 
on Wednesday in your Instagram feeds, you will see a person who has a bottle rocket between their butt cheeks and it will fire and they will be scarred. I guarantee you that that is a popular video on Wednesday. Butt cheek bottle rocket guy. Philly athlete most likely to blow his fingers off with a firework. Yaramir Yager. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's Crossing Broadcast. This, that is our show. Mom. It is good to be back. I miss oh, you Dubal guys. Herrera, by the way, is my answer. It's a good one. Uh, artificiales. Uh, we have not gotten an like iTunes hours. review in about a week, so please get onto iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We have a staggering amount, like almost 200. It kind of blows me away. Leave us a comment. Leave us a question. I'll make sure to read it. As you see, we do respond to the questions, whether they're on Twitter or on iTunes. Uh, for Russell, for Kyle, I am Adam. Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy yourselves. and If you're doing fireworks, be safe.